if you can avoid a mistake that I made, Sam, why, why wouldn't you or why shouldn't you? And, you know, the better operator you are, the better off your residents are. And hopefully as operators in community, we can improve the experience not only for uh, the residents, but for ourselves by making our buildings more profitable, by making less mistakes. Welcome to the How to Scale Commercial Real Estate Show. Whether you are an active or passive investor, we'll teach you how to scale your real estate investing business into something big. Hey, Jerome, welcome to the show. Sam, excited to be with you, brother. Thanks for having me. Man, the pleasure is all mine. The pleasure is all mine. Can you give our listeners just a quick bio on who it is they're listening to? Yeah, I'm the corporate America dropout who took the red pill back in uh, a few years ago, started pursuing real estate full time. Thought I was going to drop out and uh, build, buy an apartment. But what actually happened was got turned away from a bunch of banks and had to start fixing and flipping and then eventually found our way back. But yeah, man, I formerly trained as an engineer, built a $20 million division for a Fortune 550 company before leaving corporate America and deciding to try this real estate thing in freedom full time. Man, that's awesome. What year was that? We left in 2016. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. The same questions I ask everybody who comes on then, maybe from that point forward, is where did you start? Where are you now? And how'd you get there? Yeah. So how did I get here? I had a dream on the shelf in college. It was sophomore year. My buddy Duran and I were sitting on a stoop. And the stoop's going to be pretty important for us on this journey. And we were doing math because that's what engineering students do in their free time. We figured out, hey, I was paying $3.95. I had two roommates doing the same thing. Deron was downstairs. His roommates were doing the same thing. Multiplied out across the complex, $700,000 a year. The guy was making top line. We never saw him. We never talked to him, but we knew how much money he was making. He figured out how to decouple his time for money. And we're like, man, well, we don't have to make 700,000. What if we can make 70? And so we wanted to do that, but I'm the son of a soldier and a stay-at-home mom. So didn't really have access to the folks who were buying, you know, multi-million dollar real estate investments. And so figure, hey, you go get a job, build some net worth, build some credit, build some liquidity, and come back another time and try to figure this thing out. Well, when I was leaving corporate, I was like, well, let me go get that dream off the shelf. And so I tried to go do that. And so I found this building. It was a million three and said, went to the bank, said, don't you want to give me a million dollars to go buy this building? And they said, we sure don't. And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, I, I just finished building a pretty big business. So experience can't be the reason. And it's like, uh, yeah, that's the reason. I said, well, I got an engineering license, an MBA. He said, yeah, so. <laughs> and I just kept running down the list of all these credentials that mattered when I had a job. And he said, yeah, but you haven't executed this business plan before. Mm -hmm. And you haven't done it with a building of similar size. And so we don't believe that you actually have the experience necessary in order to execute this business plan. And talk about a shot in the heart. I was like, whoa. What do you, that, that's kind of all this time. I, I haven't made myself any better than I was in college. And like, uh, they didn't say that, but that was the underlying meaning for me. And so I walked away and he said, go find a partner and come back because we can get excited if you got a partner. And I said, but I don't know anybody. And that's when it really hit me that over all of that time that I was in corporate America, I hadn't done anything to grow my network to get me closer to the place I wanted to be when I was a sophomore. So I was no better off than I was as a sophomore in college. And that part really stung. And so I finally kind of pivoted 
and started fixing and flipping. And I'm sitting on a 1920s build, $90,000 rehab project that we built our way up to. And I'm sitting there on a the stoop and a guy pulls up in a white Dodge Ram and he hops out. He's like, hey, bud, I, I want to check out your finishes. We're getting ready to do a project down the street. You mind if I come in? And I say, sure, come on in. And, you know, I'm proud, poke my chest out. And he said, look, you, you tucked that wall out. The granite looks amazing. He walked upstairs, checked out the towel in the bathroom. He was like, man, you, you did some really nice finishes in here. This is a really good job. He's walking out and he stops in the threshold of the front door. He turns, he looks at me and says, hey, do you know anything about that building behind the Chimbo Mart? I said, yeah. I tried to buy that four or five months ago, the 23-unit apartment building, right? He said, yeah. He said, I'm going to make an offer on that today. I said, oh, you're the guy I've been looking for. The banks told me I couldn't get the loan on the deal because I didn't have any experience. He said, well, I said, you got experience, right? Because you wouldn't be going to make an offer if you don't have experience because, I mean, the banks would tell you no, too. He said, yeah, I got a little bit of experience. And I said, well, don't leave me out the deal, right? Like, bring me in. He's like, well, what are you going to bring to the table? Mm-hmm. And that's when it got me, Sam. What are you going to bring to the table? I said, I don't know. We'll figure it out. He said, okay, well, what are you going to bring to the table, Jerome? I said, I don't know. We'll figure it out. But just please don't leave me out the deal. He just kind of looked at me because I didn't answer his question. Kind of shrugged his shoulders and walked down the stairs through the grass, hopped in his truck and drove off. And I just knew that he was going to call me later that day to say, hey, you ready? We're going to do the deal. But my phone never rang. Mm. It didn't ring the next day. It didn't ring that week. It didn't ring for two weeks. And then a buddy of mine called and said, hey, we found somebody to do partner on this deal that you wanted to do back in June or January. And I told him the only way that I was comfortable doing it was if you were part of the deal. And so I got back to the table. But because I couldn't articulate my value, it was clear that I wasn't going to be the person to actually be a partner. Mm. And all of the things I was selling the bank, I didn't think was valuable anymore, right? Because they told me it wasn't valuable enough for them to give me a loan. And so I was fortunate enough to be the asset manager on that project and every other contract I've been a part of. I wrote those contracts and been the asset manager on all those deals. Uh, We built a decent sized portfolio between Richmond, Virginia and Greensboro, North Carolina. And we focus on using joint ventures to buy our projects. We, we want to own more of our deals and we don't get super excited about the syndication route, which is contrary to what most people are doing in a space. But we really enjoy this idea, concept, belief that you can own more of your deal and partner with a small group of people. It's just the fun factor is, do they have capacity? That is awesome. So you ended up closing on that original deal that the banks told you no. And do you guys still own that to this day or have have you disposed or have you sold that asset? No, we still have that deal. Uh, We took rents from 695 when it was having prostitution and drugs sold out of it to now 1195. And it's went from the eyesore of the community to something that we're pretty proud to be owners of. That is awesome. And and did you did you happen to go back to the original bank that told you no and do business with them? Or I didn't have to. So what happened when the we bought from a brokerage company and so they do a press release. And so when that press release came out, I was quoted in the article because, well, I was asset manager. And so then my phone started ringing. People wanted to show me what type of products they had. They wanted to explore what was in our pipeline. They wanted to know what we were going to do for refi when we got finished with the construction project et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so we were able to form some relationships on the backside of that. 
Right. Now that's awesome, man. Yeah. It's funny once, once you start the pieces you're trying to put in place all along the way, you know, that are very tough in the beginning. Once you start getting some traction, all of a sudden those just start coming to you instead. So that's, um, that's really cool. So what's, what's your buy box look like today then? Yeah. So we look for things that are under a hundred units and we, we like stuff that's trade in between 40 and $65,000 per door. Uh, we typically like things that you can uh, raise rents at least $100 or $150 um, compared to market. And if those boxes check, I think you're in a pretty good place to make space. We we like to buy things with cushions and we, we don't believe that everything's going to go right. In fact, we know most things don't go well. And so you got to have a little bit of budge factor in there for when things don't happen as you expect them to. When you say when, when most of the time things things don't go well, what are some things that come to mind? Well, you know, I host a whole podcast around missteps, right? Things that people messed up along the way, but figured out a way to rebound from. And so my personal examples, we, we bought a property. <laughs> this is my favorite example. We bought a property. We're doing due diligence. We go in and it's got central HVAC and we go in the unit and all of the vents or the filters are taped off with cardboard on top of them. Like, that's weird. And they got window units going. And so we keep going through. We go to the unit. We try to turn it on, turn on AC, nothing, turn on heat, clunk. You're like, that, that's really strange. We go outside, look at the unit. Everything seems to be okay. Look at the owner. Hey, Lee, what's going on? I have no idea. You know, some people think that window units are cheaper than central. Don't worry about it. And so we don't worry about it. We close and we have an HVAC company come in and they go in and they open up the furnace and there's a dead raccoon on it. Right. And so what happened was they, they climbed into the attic and then during the winter they were trying to get warm. And they followed the heat source. Only problem is when they followed the heat source, they found it to be the, the heating grate in the actual furnace. And so it was seared on the furnace. So, you know, a, a new indoor and outdoor unit later and all brand new ductwork, we, we got a deal where we got central AC going again. That's one example. Another great example is we didn't have all the utilities turned on in our property that we bought. And you know, vacant units didn't have any water on. And so we go in and we get ready to renovate that unit because it's vacant. So it's the first one you do, right? You turn the water on and water starts gushing out of the wall between the toilet and the bathtub. The pipe was cracked. Yeah. Right. Sure. And so that covers the bathroom floor and then gets into the wall because these are townhome units. And then it starts showing up in the unit next door in the kitchen. Jeez. Oh, run through the cabinets and um, there's no valve to turn it off in the unit. So you got to go back to the street, but all of the water meters are all the way at the end of the street and it's a pretty, you know, deep lot. So, you know, water's running for a good four or five minutes at full tilt. And what do you do? You smile because it's a misstep. It's not something that you could have planned for if you thought, hey, this guy wouldn't sell me something or he wouldn't just turn the water off and not fix the pipe. He'd fix the pipe, right? Right. Nope. Sure. No, absolutely not. He <laughs> just turn the water off and not occupy it and keep on going. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. So, and I mean, I, I've collected stories from the, some of the largest operators in the country to some of the folks who are just getting started. And, you know, from them having extermination problems where rats are climbing in the ceiling over them and they can hear them scratching in the middle of the night because they're house hacking their triplex or, you know, the 
property not cash flowing and having to write a check that's five figures each month because you don't want to do a capital call. I heard and seen just about everything. And the whole idea here is as operators, we're all on the same team. And if you can avoid a mistake that I made, Sam, why, why wouldn't you or why shouldn't you? And, you know, the better operator you are, the better off your residents are. And hopefully as operators and community, we can improve the experience, not only for uh, the residents, but for ourselves by making our buildings more profitable, by making less mistakes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, what things you feel like you're doing right now to avoid those mistakes. Well, I mean, the first one for sure is make sure all your utilities on when you do inspection on a new property. I think the next that we do is we we really pay attention to the physical condition of the property. I think it's easy to kind of shrug your shoulders and say, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. But, you know, appliances are really expensive. right? I mean, you can spend a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars on appliances with, with the bat of an eye. And so if you go through a property and you get ready to you know, purchase it and there's issues with the range or issues with the refrigerators, you better make sure that you factor that into your budget because uh, that thousand dollars that you didn't put in for new appliances is going to throw the whole renovation budget for a loop. Uh, The other thing that we look at pretty closely now is HVAC units. And because they change the gas that fills them, you can end up having to replace a whole unit if you can't find something that's, you know, used out there in space. And those are coming harder and harder to come by. And so that changes, you know, something that could have been a $1,500 capital expense to four or 5000 depending on how big your unit is. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm curious. So, so that's, those are a couple of things really on the due diligence side of things uh, that it sounds like you guys have mastered or at least on your way to mastering. Yeah, we're, we're, I don't think we'll ever be masters, but we'll keep learning and walking. I mean, it's, we're just getting the reps, baby. You know, operationally, though, I think we, we probably run our, our units at one of the lowest, you know, per door. We, and we look at it on a per door basis, expenses on a monthly basis as anybody in the country. And the, the thought there, or the goal there is just, you've got to be a great operator these days with, you know, people not paying rent, with with pressure on cap rates and all this other stuff, man. I, I just, the better you can run your unit, or the, I guess really the more efficiently you can run your units, the better off you are. So we're, we're looking at everything from the utilities to repairs and maintenance. And is it actually being done appropriately? The one thing that I've seen more often than not is if you have the wrong property manager, they're going to send a tradesperson, somebody's with the license to go do things that handy people can do. Right. And that's just going to kill you from an expense standpoint. And you couple that with property managers who want to charge an override for any maintenance or work order they do. And there's like they're incentivized to get to charge you as much as possible. Right. right? If they're getting a five percent override on whatever you're doing, then that number continues to grow. Right. Continues to grow. So. Right. Yeah. No. And so, you know, you you, got to make sure that your property manager is incentivized to do the things that make the most sense for what you're working on or working through. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've often thought that, especially on the single family side, you know, multifamily, I'm sure it's like you're saying, the, the incentives can, I think, be better aligned 
uh, on the single family side, you know, I've, I've commonly thought the property manager and the, and the owners were kind of not, not working from the same playbook. Like the property manager gets paid when everything's going wrong, right? When there's tenant turnover, when there is, you know, repairs and maintenance, when you've got, you know, vacancies or like all these things, it's just like, oh, wait, that's when you're getting paid. That's all bad for me. So I think that's really interesting. I want to circle back to the beginning of our conversation. Well, it, and this is probably the last question because we're going to run out of time, but but you said two things. One, you like to buy under 100 doors, which I thought was interesting. So I'd love to hear why. And then secondly, you mentioned cap rate compression, but yet at the same time said that you like to buy where you can add you know, rent bumps 100 to 150 bucks a door. That's pretty strong in today's environment. So just curious you know, on those two fronts, how you're accomplishing the rent bumps and then also you know, why you guys are under 100 doors. Yeah, so we're under 100 doors because every guru in the country is telling the folks that if they go find something that's over 100 doors, they'll help them buy it. And so what it's done is it's created this space where people are overpaying for stuff mm. and they're not going to be able to exit. And so they're making a mistake today that's going to come back and bite them in five years. Mm. And everybody's making money and smiling and grinning along the way, but they're not going to be grinning and smiling when they find out that the investment that they made, which was speculation, isn't going to pan out. And so we don't want to compete with those folks. We'll let them raise money from people who don't really under understand the risk associated with the investment that they're making. And we're going to go buy things from mom and pop who have a tremendous amount of their net worth tied up in a building. We're going to allow them to harvest that equity so that they can go enjoy retirement. And then uh, we're going to take and bring those units up to market rent because they typically prefer being full over getting max rents. And that's where we're able to get that 100 to 150 rent bump. And it doesn't happen in one year. It takes a few years to turn the units and make the transition. But it's it's our goal to be able to double or triple money over the course of five years. The stuff that people were doing down in Texas and so on back in 2012, we think still exists, but not on market. We think you have to get direct to seller. And so that's our business plan is to go talk to folks who are of retirement age and their kids don't have an interest in being in a real estate business and have them liquidate their asset and sell it for a handsome profit for them, but still at a discount to market pricing for us. But they have the ease of dealing with one person and doing one tour and just being able to provide the financials one time. And they get the freedom of having their cash liberated from the property. And we come in and make all the investments that they didn't want to make because they were property rich and cash poor. Right, right. No, that's super cool. That's super cool. It's like you got, you've got a really good system there, uh, and a really, really, really clearly defined buy box for what you guys uh, are looking for. So that's that's really cool. Kudos to you guys. Hey, let's jump here into the final four, Jerome. What is one piece of advice you would give to an aspiring investor? There is no substitute for getting the appropriate foundational knowledge, right? All the things out there, including podcasts, will say, hey, just, you know, kind of take action. But understanding your process, what you're doing end to end is of essential importance. And so find somebody who's an educator who is going to show you the thing end to end so you can begin with the end in mind and work your way back. Right. That's great. What is one thing you are currently doing to stay on top of your game? I still listen to 20 hours of content each week, man, and spend time with operators who are doing things at a pretty high level. I call them apex performers. 20 hours of content a week. 
that's, that's that's amazing. That's amazing. Good for you. Good for you. When it comes to investing in the world, what is one way you're making the world a better place? We want our investments to make an impact, Sam. And so we're focused on improving the community, then making profit. And it doesn't mean that we don't watch our expenses because, as I said, I think we run our properties at a really low expense ratio. But we also want to make sure that the residents have an amazing place to live. For instance, we, we bought a property and the parking area was on the other side of a pretty grassy part of the property. And when people wanted to walk from the parking lot to their door, they usually ended up walking in what tended to be a swamp because the area was super mushy. And so we made the investment of putting French drains in to drain that area to make sure that after a rain, the water would actually dissipate. Right. Most owners wouldn't have done that because it wasn't money that they had to spend and it wasn't going to improve the rentability of the property. Right. But we believe that, you know, you shouldn't have to walk around all the buildings in order to get to your door. Uh, that quick cut through made a lot of sense. And so we make that type of investment to improve the quality of life for the residents. Right, right. No, you're absolutely right. Because because even, you know, with without that improvement, I mean, people are still going to rent your unit. So why why do that except to, like you said, take care of your tenants and to improve their quality of life. So that's super cool. Jerome, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, what is the best way to do that? Yeah, for your listeners, I think the best place for them to go is MyersMethods.com. We've got a free four-step guide for getting into multifamily investing. It's a Kickstarter guide. And the whole deal there is to help you understand our process and learn more about the way we do things because we think we've got some stuff figured out. That's awesome. Jerome, thanks so much for your time today. Certainly appreciate it. Thanks, Sam. Hey, thanks for listening to the How to Scale Commercial Real Estate Podcast. If you can do me a favor and subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever platform it is you use to listen, if you can do that for us, That would be a fantastic help to the show. It helps us both attract new listeners as well as rank higher on those directories. So appreciate you listening. Thanks so much and hope to catch you on the next episode.